studying Oros Hachuva, and we're in the second parak. Last time we began the second parak when we were talking about the two different modalities of tshuva from a time perspective. At first, we spoke about three different modes of tshuva in terms of where is the tshuva coming from? Is it coming from my stomach or from pain that's like somehow visceral? Is it coming from an outside source, from the Torah, from tradition? Or is it some confluence of the two of them? That was chapter one. Chapter two was not so much about where is the tshuva coming from, but is this tshuva something that comes like a lightning bolt, like a barak? Or is this something which is slow and steady, which is a gradual process? And the answer is both. And in fact, Rabbanit Gordon pointed out at the end that it, these probably work together. In other words, the first chapter of Orsa Tshuva splits Tshuva into three domains. There's Tshuva that comes from the stomach, that just hits you, you know, without any preparation. There's another Tshuva, which is something that you have to learn, and that kind of takes more time. And then there's a third, which is combining the two of those together. And so it makes a lot of sense that Tshuva Pitomis is something that might map onto the first one which is something that comes like all of a sudden out of nowhere. Um, you don't have to like really learn it, it's innate. And so therefore, to go back to my favorite example, the spoiled milk, it just it hits you without having to, you don't have to read a book about when you drink spoiled milk, it causes your stomach to grumble in a way which is uncomfortable, right? It just happens automatically, as opposed to the faith base, which is a much more slow process, the gradual process, until we get to finally the two of those when they hopefully operate together. Now, I meant to, uh, close with this last time because we spent a decent amount of time last time talking about the pitfalls of tshuva pit omis. Uh, amongst those we read from Rabbi Steinsaltz, that Rabbi Steinsaltz spoke about people who suddenly get these madre goat very uh, unexpectedly and without much work and then they don't really know how to, how to deal with it. They don't know how to kind of be mitmoded with that new level until they just, they just crash, they just collapse. And then um, we also spoke about the fact that, um, that sometimes when a person gets this tshuva pitomis, revel- revelatory type of tshuva, it has to come from outside. It's not something that a person can manage themselves. It's something that usually comes pitom from the outside, or at the very least, even if it comes from the inside, you have to wait for it to come. You have to, there's no way to tap into it, as opposed to this. So those were some of the pitfalls. I just, I can't, because I, I meant to do this last time, but it, it slipped my mind, there was a lot to talk about. This is not the first time that I've referenced um, Eviatar Benai, who lives across the street from this, from this shul. But I happen to find that uh, there are a few musicians, especially those who would self-identify as Bali Chuva, who are closer than anything else that I've seen as a modern parshanut on what it means to be a Baal Chuva. And the closest thing that I've ever seen to the writings of Rav Kook you know, in terms of this idea of tshuva pitomis and the, t- the tension that exists when a person does tshuva very suddenly. And um, the closest I've ever seen to anyone describing this with such brilliance and with such earnestness, such authenticity, uh, the man happens to live across the street. So the, he has a, uh, one of his nigunim, one of his songs, is called Tel Aviv. I'm a big fan of his, of his music. One of his songs is called Tel Aviv. And the beginning of the... The beginning of the song is a little bit esoteric, exactly what he's talking about. The opening line of the song is, Shuv Ani Tel Aviv. He spent a lot of time in Tel Aviv, concerts in Tel Aviv, and he still does concerts in Tel Aviv. Um, and the, the opening line is, Shuv Ani Tel Aviv, and he's talking about this odd experience of being in Tel Aviv once again. He's staying in a fancy hotel, and that's like the, that's like the, the first 
um, this description of this odd feeling of being this guy in a, you know, in a white shirt with his tzitzes hanging out, and he happens to wear a black velvet kippah, as many Bali Chuva kind of take on the dress. Um, and he's talking about this like, funny feeling of being back in Tel Aviv, but that's not the part that really gets me. The chorus of the song, which repeats twice, which I would like to read for you right now, I won't sing it, I'll spare you, but the chorus of the song is so, listen to these words, they're so profound, and I think it's a good way to close up what we spoke about in terms of this Chuva Kedomis pitfall of doing something too quickly. I don't, I, I don't know if you're smiling, I was going to say, I don't know if you're smiling because you know the words. Yeah, no, I'm not going to sing it, but... Um, no, no, I'm not, I, it's not even a function of, embar- of being embarrassed. It, it, I, I was actually once at a, a, an Oneg Shabbos with, um, with Aviatar here in remote. Um, Rafal Katz, who also is a, is, is a rock star from remote, uh, different kind. Um, Rafal Katz is a, is a Breslover Mashpia who works with, um, I think, post-Tichon boys and girls uh, while they're in like a Mechina program, either shortly before the army to give them a little bit of a taste for, for those who didn't have a, you know, necessarily a, a full, fully rounded out um, Judaic studies curriculum in their, in their high school. So they have this, this program where they go and they spend Shabbos places. So occasionally they come and they have a Shabbos in, um, in remote because we're a wonderful community. And so um, I was invited to speak once and uh, Aviatar was invited to speak at that same event. And so we were sitting there together and he was, uh, the, the kids were all like, going out of their minds that he was there, me less so. And, um, and they, he started singing some of his songs. He said, you know, the problem with my songs is you can't really sing them without a guitar. So it's more that than the fact that... It... Anyway, the, the, the words, which are so beautiful, and I'll translate for those who, who struggle, is, In other words, he's here in Tel Aviv, and he's saying, what I think the problem is, what appears to me, is I don't really believe fully that I've changed. In other words, and listen to these words. The change, it was too quick. The other problem is I, 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 I'm not fully sure that you really forgive me yet, Hashem. Because it was a tshuva pitomis. And now all of a sudden I'm wearing like this whole lavush and I'm here in Tel Aviv and it has the familiar smells and the familiar sounds and I'm not really sure, did I really change or was it too, it was all too quick and too external and I'm not sure if you really forgave me yet, like isn't forgiveness something that takes like a long time and like you have to like really prove yourself and Vachshav, and then he says, and this is the, this is where we're headed to now in the second half of this chapter, Vachshav, and now I have, to, I have to really breathe this in deep. In truth and in faith. I have to really... Because it happened too quick. And I've seen this countless times as a, as a, as a one who deigns to call himself an educator, where you have a student who they just, it happened too quickly, it was too chitzoni, and it's a hard thing to manage because we're not really convinced that we've really changed. Or when it happens so quickly that, I've cha- that, I, that I think I've changed, well, then afterwards, I can have this experience where I change back so suddenly because it's not this gradual, this gradual state. And in, in fact, the, there's like a little piece at the end of the song where he then cites the words of Rus, which is also very beautiful. The last words of the song are, El asher telchi eleich, v'asher talini alin, amich ami, 
אלוקייך אלוקיי, המוות יפריד ביני וביניך. שלום. Which is this experience of the Baal Here's Rus, this midnight princess, who all of a sudden comes to, and again, this is my interpretation of the words, you know, my midrash on Aviatar Benayaz Negin, but she has this experience where all of a sudden she's this midnight princess woman who throws away everything in a single shot and says, where you go, I'm going to go, where you sleep, I'm going to sleep. Your God is my God. The only thing that will suffer between us is death. And on the one hand, maybe that's the experience of many Bali Tshuva. There's this Tshuva Pitomis, which is super powerful, and from there comes the birth of David Amelech, the ultimate singer of Tshuva. But at the same time, he's struggling in the choruses of the song by saying, this happened too quickly, it was too chitzoni, I'm not sure if Hashem really forgives me. And that is what we kind of spoke about last time in terms of the, the Tshuva Pitomis being this, this kind of sudden experience that needs proper management. And so now, yeah, yeah, no, don't... Different interpretation. Yeah, is that is gradual. He got this, this flash that he's afraid he's not going to stay. You want to say like Elokayach Kama, or period, Elokai. Yeah. Two different Nakudot. Two different, like, that he got this, like, Pitomi, and then he, he that Elokai he's afraid he might have lost, and then Hashem doesn't, like, he's going to get it from the, yeah. from the graduate. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, there's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov taught that we always refer in every Hiratzon, when we, when, we, when we pray three times a day in, in Shemona Esrei, we always refer to Hashem as Elokeinu ve'elokeha v'seinu. Elokeinu ve'elokeha v'seinu. So Elokeha v'seinu here would be Elokeich in the, in the, in the Rosnami case. She's saying, your God, which maps onto Elokeha v'seinu, the God of our forefathers. And then there's also Elo, there's Elokeinu, there's our, our God also. And the Baal Shem Tov explained that a person has to have a dual relationship with Hashem. There is one part of our relationship with Hashem, which is, um, which is received, a tradition. It's Elokeh Avoseinu. And that Elokeh Avoseinu is a very simple faith, that this is the God of my, of my fathers and my mothers, of Avmi Tzitiakosar, of Gerachal and no questions asked. This is coursing through my blood. And the other God is a God that I create myself through a relationship and through asking questions and investigation and messing up and, and challenging and having doubts. And the Baal Shem Tov explained that both of them are vital because simple faith is very difficult to undermine. And it's very important, especially for transitioning periods when a person is transitioning to a, a much more deep faith. Like let's say when a person is a child, they generally think like, oh, Hashem is in the sky and and, and we're down here. And Hashem is looking down and he can see everything. And that's a certain authoritarian way of looking at Hashem that a child maybe has. Maybe as a person gets older, they begin to have a more expansive view of Hashem and they recognize that Hashem, I actually, we're getting a little far afield, but it's, it's good. I actually told my children there was, a, there was an event earlier this year which was so beautiful, it was so good. And I'm not here to say bad, but um, 
but there was part, part of the event was the Kabbalah's Omal Chushamayim before Rosh Hashanah, which was so awesome and so beautiful. And at the end, there was like a, a letting go of the balloons and sending them to Shemayim, which is how a child relates to Hashem. But I, I turned to my children after I said, I said, Hashem is not only in Shemayim, Hashem is here also. We don't have to let go of balloons to send messages to Hashem. And I felt for my, you know, for my children, I wanted to, to be mechanech them to say that also, it's chashuv that we're sending something up to Hashem. And Hashem is so big and he's so, you know, but Hashem is also right here, right next to us. And maybe that's something for a child is hard to grasp, you know, but over, over time, we begin to have this more deep relationship with Hashem, and then we start to question, well, like, if that's not what Hashem is, so then do I really understand Hashem? And that, in that moment of transition, it could be kind of shaky, so I say, my, my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and even if not that, meaning a person who converted to Judaism or a person who there was a, some sort of lapse in the in this transmission of this emuna, you know, from father to son, and this, or, or, or mother to daughter, or father to daughter, whatever it is, in this very bolate kind of way, I could still tap into this Elokev Oseinu, the God of Avon Yitzchak The problem with that is that it's very difficult to transmit to somebody else. And so the Baal Shem Tov said, you also need this Elokeinu, this personal relationship with Hashem. Like if you just say to your children, Hashem is my God, so he needs to be your God, it's not a good recipe for, for transmitting faith to somebody else. And so it's important to have this balance of, on the one. But, but if I did the due diligence, if I did the work to create a relationship with Hashem that's my own, that's my own personal relationship that comes with scraping my knees and getting my hands dirty and asking questions and struggling with and being authentic with my own doubts. So then I have things that I can actually relate to my children. It's not just, just believe. I believe, you believe, Zadie believed, Bobby believed, you just believe. So instead of that, I can actually say, well, I actually thought about this, and here's, here are some of my struggles that I had, and here's how I resolved those things. That's something I can actually pass on. So both of those are very important. So the Elokeinu, which maps onto Elokeich in the Rus Na'ami, is that's your God that comes, like, I accept that in an instant. But Elokei is something that's a slow process that I need to learn to, I think, if that's, you know, Yecholiot. This is why we trust you with our children. Right. Right. Maybe by the time my children got to your gun, my wife was already from an early age doing schmeiss or elephant every night. Yeah. Yeah, but not everybody is, you know what I'm saying? Not everybody is. They just know. They just know. It's the most incredible thing. Right. So on a, a level of tshuva, so that's on a level of emuna. So on a level of tshuva, there is this, I just know that my life has to be different. That comes very suddenly. And then, obviously, because <laughs> I'll tell you, you, you deal with them when they're still little. I deal with them when they're 18, you know? That's when I, that's when I get the boys and the girls. And, uh, and then, you know, that simple tshuva pitomis of just being born, you know, pitam adam nolad, to quote a different uh, singer, uh, and then, like, they're born with the muna and with all these things, but then... If we don't maintenance it, you know, it, it becomes it becomes something which is which their their simple faith could cripple them. So it's important they they're born with it and they get they get from from an early age that kind of like this is this is what it is and it's inborn. And then but then a person needs to maintenance that and to read books and to ask questions and to and to and to write about it and to think seriously about it so that they can mature in their and to and when they need to to kind of fall back on the on the elokei and then to push forward with the with the with the elokei 
So now Rav Kook is going to take us into the world of the tshuva hadragit, the more step-by-step tshuva, the more la'at la'at tshuva of, uh, of, of every day. And so we get to enjoy Rav Kook's beautiful words here. We're learning Oros HaTshuva, and, and we're in Perak Beis. There may even be a volume yeah. floating around here, but I, also, I, I see a few white volumes of Rav Kook. I don't see that particular one. It's, a, it's like a, it has five Sparam in one. Yeah. I almost brought a second one. I'm so sorry. But if, if we're interested, we could, in touch, we, could, we could do a bulk order and get a few, few copies. Okay, so we're now in the second, or I guess the third paragraph. Yeshna tshuva hadragit. So, in addition to this tshuva pitomis, which, and again, I don't mean to give tshuva pitomis a bad name. You know, we, we spoke a lot about the pitfalls of tshuva pitomis, but tshuva pitomis could be, and we, we also spoke about this a little bit. You know, it's this, it's the Hungarian wine. It's this tasting something that I know is a great reference to it last week. It's something about this change that I, I heard this nigan, I, I tasted this wine, I'm, I know this is true, and it just washes over, it's Eliyahu and the cloak with, El, with Elisha, it's in the Ami and Rus, it's the sudden, powerful moment, overwhelming moment, and that's very good. The Yeshna Tshuva And then on top of that, there has to be this secondary mode of Tshuva, which is much more putting, you know, investing every single day and seeing a slow, incremental growth. Lo brika havrika mi bikirbo. It's not a, a sudden lightning bolt that flashes from within him. Where a person suddenly is aroused from their slumber and recognizes that I've been doing this all wrong. I've been parenting all wrong. I've been davening all wrong. I've been doing Shabbos totally wrong. Whatever the, whatever the wake up is. I've been, my, my, my relationship with my spouse is just so backwards, it's so wrong. Whatever the particular nekuda is, it comes in this moment of nishapech mina omet from the depths shall ra elatov. That's not what tshuva hadrakit is. Ela margishu shetzarich lios holech umetiv darkov orchos chayav. It's true that a person feels that I need to change something. Ritzono holech machshavotav ubemahal chose holechu vekovesh laat laat es darche hayosher. A person recognizes that there is value in incremental growth, in slow and steady growth that happens over the course of a long period of time. La'at, la'at. I often uh, say that if I ever had the opportunity to design a base medrash, which I don't have uh, ideas about doing that, but if I ever had, to, had if anyone ever asked me, what should we put on the parochas? I always say that I would, I would say to put on the parochas, la'at, la'at. Little by little, ubasof magim, and at the end, we'll get there. And where did I get those words from? I got those words from none other than the Chazanish. The Chazanish, at a certain point in his life, um, had a. I don't know if he had a. The Chazanish was not well, because the Chazanish used to push himself in Torah learning to degrees that his doctors were not, were not pleased with. When the Chazanish studied Meseches Erevin, which is a notoriously difficult Mesechta, he got exceptionally ill. So I don't know if this was during this Tkufa, but it says. Um, that there was a certain point in the Chazanish where he was very, very weak. And Rav Nissen Karlitz, who was one of the Chazanish's very, very close disciples, and I think also a family member somehow through marriage. So he writes here, After he got hit by this, he, you know, he was very weakened in his weakened state. So I was walking with him one time um, 
מגבעת רוקח עד רחוב בילו, I think, maybe, I'm not sure if there's a רחוב בילו, I know there's one in Yerushalayim, but I don't know if there's one in Bnei Brak also, perhaps. But they were walking there from one, one street to the other, and he was so weak that hupasa le'ito kolodech, he was walking tiny steps the whole time. The other image that I have of this is also, they say that Rav, uh, Rav Salvechik's brother, Rav Aaron Salvechik, after he had a stroke, um, he still used to give shiurim in the Yeshiva University base medrash, and people would sometimes see him walking from the base medrash to the shir room, which was just, you know, maybe a 30-second walk for a healthy person, but he was after a stroke, and people used to, this was kiseder, people would overhear him as he was walking on his daily walk from the base medrash to the shir room, he would be saying, people would hear him saying under his breath, he would be saying one step, you know, like the Kohen Gadlan Yom Kippur with the sprinkles, one, one step, one step, and another step, two steps, three steps. And the Chaznish was doing some sort of similar type of very slow walking. And right before we arrived that we were supposed to get, so, 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 so I was watching him and he turned to me and he said, he said, do you see? Holchim la'at la'at basof magim. When a person walks slowly but surely and continues to move one foot in front of the other, even no matter how slow it is, in the end you eventually get from Rechov Rokeach to Rechov Bilu. If, if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, and then he tells the most unbelievable story. I wish I knew where it was, but he says that in that same Zman, at that same time, um, and here he says specifically he had some, something that was with his, with his heart, so the doctors told him that he's not allowed to speak, more than, for, for over the course of about six weeks or so, he's only allowed to speak like X number of words a day. They gave him like, he had to totally rest, and they said, you're only allowed to speak X number of words a day. And after they increased the number of words that he was allowed to say, so so he told me, he motioned to me to take out one of his books, and he told me to write down a few words. And I struggled to hear what he was saying. Katavti shlosh tevos. I wrote down three words. As he was saying the words from his mouth, he struggled to get these three words out. And I wrote down in the book three words, closed up the book. More than that, he couldn't, he couldn't get out. The next day. Then he told me to again, to write another three words. And we did this together over the course of a short amount of time, like a few days, a, a week, a month, I don't know how long. Libasof, and at the end, he said, that, he said, I can testify from that little book, that notebook where we write three words a day over the course of a certain amount of time, it became a sifkatan and the sefer chazanish al hilchashabas. If you look in the chazanish, so I always say, I wish I knew where this was, you know, I would frame it and put it on my wall, that the chazanish wrote uh, one of the paragraphs in Chazanish on Hilchah Shabbos, writing three words at a time, every day three words, until finally he had a paragraph. Now, that's talking about Talmud Torah, and that's talking about perseverance, but the same thing, so obviously, maps onto the experience of tshuva, that when a person is trying to do tshuva, there's one way of doing tshuva, which is, I just, I'm, I soar all of a sudden. But that has these, lo- you know, these large kind of moments that end up, you know, broken all over the place. As opposed to that, a person is capable of taking that large moment, Taking the, like we spoke about last week, we said a Torah from the Avodas, the Avodas Yisrael that he said uh, that was Mazhir and Gedolim al 
right? That we have to make sure that in the times of godless, when we have this expanded consciousness, we remind ourselves to, to warn the katanim. It doesn't mean the young children. It means the, the moments when we're going to fall back into a, a smaller state of consciousness. That a person, when they're in that big moment, they have to know how to transform that into each individual moment of tshuva and to go la'at la'at. Estarke hayosher. Metakin asamidos. Slowly to pick one mita and to work on that for a little bit. To slowly fix you know, the slightest error that I have in my actions. And to continue to, to work out. To keep working out and to keep perfecting myself and making myself more and more fit. Until a person comes to a place of great purity and great fixing. Little by little, a person is able to, to make these type of... There's a story that they say from the Scully Rebbe's uh, grandfather. Scully Rebbe used to always like to say this over. That his grandfather once had a dream. I think this puts the two perspectives together. I'll share one story from the Scully Rebbe's grandfather and one from the Chavetz Chaim. We got a little from the Chassidim, a little from the... Not that the Chavetz Chaim was a misnagit, but a little bit from different, different Batei Medrash. So the Scully Rebbe's grandfather one time had a dream that he said to the Baal Shem Tov, he had the Baal Shem Tov appeared to him in a dream, and the two of them were standing there on this beautiful like mountain, and they were looking out on the horizon, and, and the scholar of his grandfather said to the Baal Shem Tov, how is a person supposed to serve Hashem? And the Baal Shem Tov said, like this. And immediately, without giving a, a moment's notice, the Baal Shem Tov threw himself off the mountain and splattered on the floor below and shattered into a million pieces, like a glass. He said it looked like glass all over the floor. And the scholar of his grandfather was, was you know, horrified, ran down the mountain, to go, you know, pick up the pieces or whatever. And this is the part of the dream. This is the point of the dream. When he saw the pieces, the shattered pieces of the Baal Shem Tov, all, you know, all scattered on the bottom of the mountain, he picked up each individual piece and he said this was the, the most muzar part of the dream. He picked up each individual piece and he saw there was a little Baal Shem Tov in every, full, whole, completely whole, in each shattered piece that was on the, that was on the floor. And the scholar is grandfather said that what, the, what I understood from this dream is that the Baal Shem Tov said that sometimes a person takes this one leap of great Mesiris Nefesh, a great leap of Mesiris Nefesh, a tshuva pit omis, or a person decides when to do something, but then when that leap hits the floor and you decide to make this strong hachlata and it breaks into a million pieces, then those million pieces don't have to be broken. Meaning that's what happens if you don't do it properly. But if you if you purposely break it into smaller little chunks, and each of those chunks is packed with the passion of that moment of Mesir Snefesh, in other words, the leap off of the mountain then transforms into a moment of taking that passion and packing it into a system where you're able to actually manifest this in small, concretized actions of la'at la'at, where I take this passion to be able to do something and put it as three words, three words, three words, one day of tshuva, another day of tshuva, fixing this action, fixing that action, until finally each of those little pieces of Baal Shem Tov become something that's... Now, the story from the Chafetz Chaim is that the Chafetz Chaim one time uh, found himself in the town of Alexander. Alexander was a strong bed of both, of, of, of both traditions, of the Hasidic tradition and the Litvish tradition. And there was a shtibel in Alexander. I actually heard this from Usher Weiss first. What's that? At, where, is the, where is the city of Alexander? Uh, I'll take, take you at your word. It's a, it's a Polish Hasidus, for sure. Yeah. So, so um, in Alexander, there was always this uh, shtibel that was called their Chafetz Chaim Shtibel. Chafetz Chaim Shtibel. And... Uh, 
so I heard, again, I heard this from Rav Asher, right? So Rav Asher always said that the reason it was called the Chavetz Chaim Shtibel is that one time the Chavetz Chaim ended up in Alexander. He was passing through Alexander, and uh, he had some, some reason he ended up there. And he was in Alexander, and it was the day before Rosh Chodesh. Here we are. It was the day before Rosh Chodesh. It was Yom Kippur Katan. And he walked into the Shtibel, and he said, you know, he was there for davening. And after davening, you know, they finished the, the tefillah, and the point where they're supposed to say slichos on Yom Kippur Katan, for those people who do Yom Kippur Katan, for those who are not familiar, some people have the custom of the Erev Rosh Chodesh, they fast, and there's special slichos that they say, and they treat it like a real day, a very serious day of tshuva. Um, every, 12 times a year, instead of just once a year on Yom Kippur, we do that every, so uh, I, I do not have that prayer, I've never done Yom Kippur Katan, but uh, we, the Jewish people, have great people who, who do this, and the Chavetz Chaim was one of these people, so he walked into the synagogue, he said, he said, no, Yom Kippur Katan, no, no, no slichos. So the people who were there, who in this shtibel, he happened to walk into a Hasidic shtibel, so the people there said, the Rebbe Zaknisht, which is Yiddish for the rabbi, doesn't say it, the Rebbe doesn't say it. The Alexander Rebbe doesn't say it, we're going to do Yom Kippur Katan, the Rebbe doesn't do Yom Kippur Katan. So the Chafetz Chaim said, Chafetz Chaim said, let me give you a mushroom, what this is like. He said, once there was a man who was standing at a, he was in this small little town, uh, and he was trying to get to Warsaw. And so he bought a ticket to make, on, make his way to, to, to Warsaw. And uh, he was in a small town, but he was a well-to-do guy. And he bought a ticket to Warsaw. And as he's waiting there by the platform, he starts to, he sees there's a fellow Jew who's there amongst all the other people. He sees a fellow Jew. And as Jews do in uh, places of travel, in the airports and in the train stations, he starts making small talk with this, with this other Jew. And he says, where are you headed? And the other Jew says, I'm headed to Warsaw. So he says, oh, that's great, maybe we should sit together on the train. So he said, I'd love to sit, sit next to you, that sounds wonderful. So there's two of them are sitting next to each other, they're exchanging, uh, you know, playing a little Jewish geography, whatever, what are we learning, they're talking. And after the train, you know, starts moving and they, they get to the first stop, which is nowhere near Warsaw, it's only like still eight stops away. And as they're talking, the, the second fellow who met this well-to-do fellow who was on his way to Warsaw, stood up and started gathering his things and the man said, where, where are you going? And he said, he said, I have, to, I have to get off the train. He said, I thought you said you're going to Warsaw. So the guy said, I am going to Warsaw. He said, but you're a rich man. You bought a one-way, you bought a ticket that's like one shot, you know. He's like, I am not such a wealthy man. So I bought a ticket that goes from this stop to this stop. Then I get off the stop. I do some odd jobs. I beg a little. People give me some money. I buy a ticket to the next stop. And I, he said, it takes me a long time until I finally get to, uh, to Warsaw. I'm going to Warsaw, but I have to go stop by stop. So the Chabot Chaim, said, your Rebbe is a rich man. He can go from one Yom Kippur to the next Yom Kippur on one ticket. He can go, he can buy a ticket, he can go from here to there one ticket. He said, people like you and me, including himself, he said, people like you and me, we have to go a little bit at a time, and then we have Yom Kippur Katan. And then go a little bit at a time, and Yom Kippur Katan. A little bit at a time, and Yom Kippur Katan. Because for us, it's the little by little, that's how we finally get there. We're never going to get there if we don't go just a little bit at a time. And so these two stories, for me, in, in a certain way, encapsulate what Rav Kook is saying here, that there is the tshuva pit omis. And that's the moment when a person throws themselves, not so drastic, off a mountain, but they throw themselves at their Avodah Hashem with such fervor, with such force, that it actually causes them to break a little bit. But if in that break, if in that break, like the Ramban writes in his commentary to Shira Shirim, that Esa Ava Ad that a person has a moment of great Ava, of great love, Ad means until you turn it into a Chefza, that you could, that's the Lashon of Chefetz, something that you could actually hold in your hand, and something tangible, something you could walk with La'at, Something that you could say, I, can pick, I can't even picture it. What it means to go from here all the way to Warsaw in one shot. 
But what I can do is I can move a little bit in this direction today, and next week I can move a little bit more in that direction. And, and we see that all the time. We see that even with our, with our learning here. We do a little bit of a paragraph and another paragraph. And before you know it, I'm not kidding, before we know it, this little Chabura who's studying, uh, who's studying the Igeris HaTshuva, the first three prakim of, of, we'll see if we go past that, but of Oris HaTshuva, we're going to be suddenly done with the first three prakim, and then it'll be, we'll be done with the, all the prakim of, of the entire Sefer. Because when you do a little bit at a time and it's manageable, then it's possible to really make, uh, make real strides. And so from there, if Cook says, in the last little bit of time we have, if Cook says, from there, we move to the third step. If the first step of tshuva is this sudden recognition of my own ugliness, which is maybe a little bit painful, and from there we move to uh, a state of recognizing that it's not just sudden movement, but it's something that happens slowly but surely, perhaps there's a way to combine the two of those together. And it's actually something which is not suddenly seeing my ugliness, but rather, what, I, what I'll call this the, uh, you know, the Weinberg puzzle method. I mean, I'm sure we're not the only ones to do it, but I say this with respect to all of you who probably struggle through your, when you're make, doing puzzles with your children, or your children are doing puzzles. They do, you know, try to find the pieces. But the Weinberg puzzle method is, you know, we're not, I guess we're not such puzzle people. You have like the box right there in front of you, and you just look at the picture, and then from the picture you take each individual piece and you put it where it's supposed to go, but you're looking at the, the true, if you're like a real puzzle person, you know, and I say this, if you're like a real puzzle aficionado, this is like, this is like the most horrible admission that I just made, that like, you know, you don't look at the, you don't look at the box, you, you try to figure it out, you know. But this third method of tshuva, it, it incorporates both. In other words, as opposed to saying, in a moment, I recognize, wow, my parenting skills are in total disrepair. My marriage is falling apart. My tefillah is just, I, I don't feel comfortable talking to Hashem. When, as soon as I open the book, my mind just goes blank and I'm thinking about business and I'm thinking about, my, my Shabbos is just, I'm always rushing into Shabbos. I, I, I'm not preparing properly. My relationship with, with giving tzedakah is I'm so stingy. And, and all of a sudden, it all comes in one shot. I'm just bad, 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 bad. The third level of tshuva, the, the synthesis of the thesis and the antithesis of pitomis and, and hadragit, is now hachuva ha'alyona. What's the tshuva ha'alyona? The tshuva ha'alyona, says Rav Kook, is where I have this sudden flash of how beautiful the world could be. In other words, I have a very clear picture of a map of where I'm headed to. And once I have this clear picture, because if the, if, the, if the tshuva pitomis is, whoa, I'm so bad, okay, then what do I do with that? What's the next step? If everything, if I'm suddenly, if I'm suddenly entranced by my own brokenness, so that might never manifest as a lat la type of tshuva. Contrast that with what he said the first time, where a person is makir es haram es ha'kor shel hachet. See the difference? In the first paragraph, it's ha'pitom is b'mitoch eze barak ruchani. It's a barak ruchani as well. But it's nichnas be'aneshama, and I see my own ugliness. But that's not a map. There's no map that I could slowly take this puzzle piece and put it here, and take this puzzle piece and put it here. Ah, but if there's another, there's a havrakasha hatova klali. If I'm able to somehow, through putting together these glimpses at, wow, this is really broken, and then trying to slowly put the pieces together with tshuva la'at la'at, well then, perhaps I'll be zocha to a type of tshuva, which is tshuva el yona, where this havraka, this, this thunder and lightning that lights up the whole night, I'm able to see the tova klalisha, tova elokia shora ba'olam askulam. I see this light of, of divine illumination, which, is, which resides in, all of, in, in, in the light of all worlds, 
Or Chai Olamim, Rav Kook is now waxing poetic, the light of all, of all worlds, the life of all worlds. Nishmas Kol Hatzilas, the, the soul, meaning the divine essence of Kol Hatzilas, of all emanations. Mitztayeres Lefanenu becomes portrayed in front of us, becomes painted, it becomes illustrated in front of us. Vehoda Vekdushasa, with all of its splendor and all of its holiness. I catch a glimpse, and, and sometimes how could this happen? This could sometimes happen when a person catches a glimpse of a, of a person who's doing it right. It could sometimes happen with a, a glimpse of somebody who say, I, I want to be like that. And then when a person puts themselves, uh, like studying the works of Rav Kook, this happens all the time, a person studying the world of Rav Kook, and Rav Kook paints this beautiful picture of what life could be like. And so a person says, wow, that's really beautiful. I want to keep that in front of my eyes. And slow, I'm, not, I'm not that. I'm not going to convince myself that I am that. But rather, I now have this picture. I'm going to firmly place that picture in front of me, like the box, the puzzle box. And then I'm going to put the pieces together in such a way where little by little, I'm able to, to, to follow a trail towards, towards this perfection. Nishmas kol atzilus, the soul, this, this, this divine soul of, of all that emanates, that, that creates all reality. It becomes painted and, or de- depicted in front of us. In all of its splendor and all of its holiness. To the extent that the heart is able to, to be macabre, uh, like, like uh, is able to be suffused with it. And isn't it true, says Rav Kook, isn't it really true that the world is filled with so much good and with so much yosher? And that uprightness, that good that's within us, it comes when we look around the world and we see how the world, Rav Kook speaks about this in other places, where Rav Kook says that when a person looks out at the world and they see how the sun is doing what it's supposed to do and it rises just as it's supposed to and the moon rises just as it's supposed to and, and goes away just as it's supposed to. And like my father always used to say when we were on our way to Mincha, when I was, when I was living at home and I had the, the pleasure of being near my father, so we would be walking on our way to Mincha and we would hear the birds chirping as the sun is starting to set and I said, ah, oh, the birds are also davening Mincha now. And there's this sense that the whole world is doing what it's supposed to do. And you, a person who lives in that type of enchanted world, where they're just looking around and the, everything is just doing what it's supposed to do. And then I look at myself and I say, I don't, I don't, you know, one of these things is not like the other, to quote the Sesame Street song that, I, that we also grew up on. It's like, I'm the one thing that's like out of line, out of sync with the rest of creation. And Rukuk speaks about this beautifully in, in further chapters. When I want to twin myself, when I want to myself to the rest of reality. And I look at myself and I say, I'm looking at this puzzle box. I look out at the world and I see that the world is so beautiful. It's so profoundly fulfilling its, its purpose. Everything is doing what it's supposed to do. And how can I tear myself away from everything else which is, which is following this path? To be some strange and separated crumb that's separate from the rest of this amazing, I'm just like a, a missing, I'm just this, this puzzle piece that's off there in the corner while the rest of them are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mufrad ka'avak dak kelo nechshav, like a like a tumbleweed, like a, like a like a dust clod that's just off on the side. That's lo nechshav. That's not even being considered. When when a person recognizes the the perfection of reality, or 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 looks at a certain group of Jews who are so amazing in their way of chesed, or so amazing in their way of tefillah, or so amazing in their way of Torah, or so amazing in all the different things that Jewish people excel at. 
And they, and they look at that and they say, wow, I want to be part of that. How can I be off to the side when I see this love of Eretz Yisrael or I see this, this love of, of, of giving to other people or I see this mysterious nefesh for Torah study. Whatever it is that a person sees in, in another group, I don't want to be a, a, a crumb that's off to the side. I want to get part of that. When we talk a karazu and a person recognizes that, that is a divine recognition in truth. Then, in the individual life and in the life of, of the nation, a person is able to start to make moves and to start placing all the different pieces in order to the moment when a person can, can, actually, can actually get it right. So, what is exactly the order? How exactly does a person decide when to, you know, to try to... I would say, I would say like this. I'd say, humbly, I would suggest that a person who tries to push themselves la'at la'at every single day will have moments when when the, the, the doors just swing open and they're able to get inside in this strong way. I'm reminded, I guess we'll end with this, of a teaching from the Katzker Rebbe. The Katzker Rebbe used to always ask, why is it that in Kriyat Shema we say that a person should learn words of Torah and we say we should place them al levavecha, we should place them on our hearts? Wouldn't it make much more sense, said the Katzker Rebbe, like a true Hasidic master, that we place it bilvavenu, in our hearts? Why is the Torah telling us that we should place those words and we should place them on your heart? So the Katzker said, because it's not always possible. Because tshuva pitom is something that a person has to wait for. Sometimes a person waits a whole lifetime to find the mentor that they can, to find that, you know, the, the puzzle box. Like also so many puzzles in our house where like we don't even know where the, the pieces are just all mixed together. And, and a person feels like that. We feel like this puzzle where it's like, do we have all the pieces? I'm not even sure if we have all the pieces. And then when a person... Keep placing on your heart, on your heart, on your heart. And then in some moment when you least expect it, all of a sudden you find that your heart opens up and all those things that were sitting right on top of the heart, says the Kotzker, they just they fall right in. But that, to the extent that a person is placing that we're placing on our heart, then there's the possibility that when it opens, something will be able to fall in. And so what Cook is offering us here is a, a, a two-pronged approach to tshuva that gives birth to this flower of a third approach, which is that if a person takes those moments where they have a moment of honest self-reflection and they say, I'm not doing this right. What do I do about that? I'm not even sure. But I do know that tomorrow I could write three words in the journal, proverbially. I could, I could change some small thing. And I do that over and over again. And I place alevavecha and alevavecha and alevavecha. Then Hashem will bring me to that tshuva alyon, that third state, where all of a sudden I'll have this moment of, of where I just see the world is so beautiful and so ordered. And all of that small incremental growth will open up my heart and make a lasting change that will be completely paradigm shifting and life altering. We should be zochet to it speedily in our days. Yeah.